Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. Hey, so it's great to be uh, in Irvin, Kentucky. Uh, I'm from a small town as well, a lot like this one. You actually have more restaurant choices than I have in my hometown. So you are thinking like, oh, I live in a tiny town, I got nothing. No, you got a lot of cool stuff. Um, so you're here and we're here and we're excited. I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity uh, to be able to celebrate you guys from afar. I, I look at Summit View every single week. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, the Book of Faces, right? It lets us kind of watch from afar. I celebrate baptisms. I celebrate wins. I, I talk to Pastor Michael uh, often about what God's doing right here in Estill County. Um, I mean, I just, I feel like I'm a part of you guys. I really do. I love L8. Uh, if you guys don't know that, I don't usually drink sugar, but I think yesterday I had 11 L8s. Uh, so last night I was laying in bed thinking, God, why did I do that? I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. And then I saw a bottle this morning and I was like, I'm going back. I'm hitting the bottle. I'm back at it. So I need a, a L8 recovery group uh, when I get home to get off this sugar. But, uh, and then the Daddy-O's donuts or Daddy-Dough, Dough-Daddy, whatever. Dude, I don't do sugar. I just told you all that. But last night at 1030, I pounded two donuts like nobody was watching right in the store. Uh, it was awkward. It was, uh, <laughs> It was really hard for me to get past that place. But hey, we're in a series. You guys have been in a series called uh, The Epic Story, The Most Epic Story Ever Told. And we're, we're getting to a story next week um, that really can change the trajectory of your life. But um, Pastor Mike told one of my favorite stories last week. He kind of stole it right out from underneath me. I would never do that to him. I'm inviting him down. Uh, he taught Jonah. How, is, how rad is Jonah, right? Uh, I mean, Jonah got called to the sinful place. Jonah said, heck no, I ain't going to Powell County. I'm not going, not doing it. Uh, if you're from there, sorry, you've, the, you've seen the story yourself, right? But like Jonah got called there and, and God wanted to do something great there. But we know what happens. We know that people turn to Jesus. Well, uh, that's what we want everywhere we go. That, that's the story we want. So I'm going to tell a different story, uh, another epic story. It actually probably is my favorite Old Testament story. Uh, I want to talk to you today about a guy named Joseph. Can I just ask real quick, have anybody ever heard the story of Joseph? Yeah, he had a baby named Jesus. His wife's named Mary. Wrong one, right? So like, I want to tell you a story about Joseph from the Old Testament. Um, Joseph is one of 12 boys. And we actually get the 12 tribes of Israel from this story, but are from that end. But uh, um, Joseph, uh, famous father, famous story. He's known as the favorite. How many of you guys have siblings? Who's the favorite? Of course you are, right? You're like looking around like, I'm the favorite. Of course I'm the favorite. I'll fight for it right now. Like, I'm the favorite. Like, I actually work with my brother. My older brother is a pastor alongside of me. So we have like this ongoing joke about who's the favorite. Um, so my mom will get mad at us and be like, I'm not coming to church today if you guys are going to fight over who's the favorite. And I'm like, all right, mom, we won't fight over it, but I'll bring you some coffee at your house because your favorite son's going to come see you. you know? <laughs> like, uh, but we just go back and forth. Well, Joseph was literally called out as the favorite. One of 12 boys. Um, his dad had him at an eight or, uh, uh, older age of life uh, with his favorite wife. And uh, Joseph's born into that. And kind of Jacob at that time says, hey, this is my favorite son. Um, I love him the most. I, I know exactly what that feels like. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh, but I'm the youngest, right? And I'm the most beautiful uh, in the family. I mean, it's, I mean I'm not, that's not self-proclaimed. It's just fact, right? But, uh, but I, I see that in Jacob or in Joseph. Um, and then his dad gives him this robe. It's like this fancy jacket. It's like a brand that you've never heard of, but it's like the best brand of all brands. It's, I think it's called Carhartt. Um, 
But it's just like the world's greatest material, right? And, and Joseph got the first Carhartt jacket, and his brothers hated him for it. They wanted that Carhartt jacket, but the dad gave it to his favorite. Well, then Joseph takes it a step further. Joseph actually has this dream where all of his brothers are going to bow down to him. Where It's like the, the wheat in the fields all bow down. So pretty much what Joseph said is, is hey, not only does dad think I'm the favorite, but God thinks I'm the favorite. And there's going to be this day where even you as my older brothers, y'all bow down at my feet. Well, the brothers don't like that. And if you've ever read this story, this is actually Genesis chapter 37 through 50. So you're going to walk through a lot of the Bible right now, right? Uh, here's what happens. Joseph tells his brothers this dream. The brothers get mad. And then one of the brothers says something I heard every day of my life. I'm going to kill you, right? Like the older brother's like, I'm going to kill you. And then the other brother steps in, Reuben, who we're thankful for Reuben. Reuben steps in and says, no way, man, we cannot kill him. His blood cannot be on our hands. Like, so the brother's like, well, hey, then let's not, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in a well. So you know what they do? They take him, they, they strip him of his robe, and they throw him in a whale. And that's where Pastor Mike picked up the story last week in the whale, that uh, Joseph was in that whale for three days and three nights, and Jonah turned on the light and said, what are you doing here? No, different whale? That's how you guys say in Kentucky. <laughs> I mean, y'all say, hey, that's, don't drink that, that's whale water. And I said, how'd a whale get into Kentucky? <laughs> right? Like, th- let me spell it for you so that our accents don't intermix right now. It's whale, W-E-L-L. They, they put him in a whale. Jonah was in a whale, but... This is where you get water from. No, it's okay, Kentucky. It's all right. So he, he gets thrown down into this well. His brothers then say, hey, we can't kill him. We can't leave him in the well. What do we do? Well, the Midianites came through town, and they sold Joseph. I don't know if you've ever been sold into slavery, but that's a pretty bad day. He gets sold into slavery, but they don't even keep him into slavery long. He gets sold again. But then here's what happens next. He gets sold to a guy by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar is like, a ruler in the land. He's kind of a, a big dog, if you would, in this land. And uh, Joseph really quick finds favor in Potiphar's eye. And Potiphar makes him one of his personal attendants. That he out, actually gets to live in Potiphar's house. He gets to serve Potiphar's family. And he can have anything he wants of Potiphar's except for Potiphar's wife. But Potiphar's wife starts to notice Joseph. She notices his handsomeness. She noticed his looks and his attributes and the things that, that Joseph brought to the table. And Potiphar's wife starts to notice that. And then she kind of, uh, kind of encourses him or like tries to trick him to come to bed with her. But Joseph denies it. He runs from her. She makes up this lie and she makes up a story. I mean, I guess just out of just feeling rejected. I don't know if you've ever been rejected before or upset, but she makes this lie that Joseph tried to harm her. Well, Potiphar finds out and takes Joseph and puts him into prison. Now you got this guy who's already been fake killed by his brothers, stripped of his ornate robes, stripped of his father's favoritism, thrown down into a well, sold into slavery, resold into slavery, and now being lied upon and now going from slavery like that ain't bad enough down into prison. And he's in prison. And these two guys from Pharaoh, who's the king of all the land, he's the number one guy in all of Egypt. He gets mad one day at a party and he takes his baker and he takes his cupbearer and he throws them into prison. Well, these two guys, they find themselves in the same prison stall as Joseph. They have a dream one night and they don't know what to do with this dream. I don't know if you guys have ever had a crazy dream before. Try 11 L8s in one day and you'll have some dreams, right? Like that sugar will get to you. But uh, he had, they had these dreams and when they had the dream, they didn't know what to do. So the next morning they said, hey, we need an interpreter. Well, Joseph said, I, that's not me, man. They said, well, we had these dreams. We got to tell someone we need an interpreter. And Joseph says, hey, I can't interpret your dream, but I know a guy. And when I know a guy, my God will tell you what your dream means. So they do exactly that. The baker and the cupbearer, they tell Joseph their dreams. And Joseph says, well, hey, man, I got bad news for you to the baker. He said, hey, 
your baking was not good. And the king's actually going to take your head off today. And your head is going to be placed on that cookie sheet that you normally serve bad baked goods. And he said, but to the cupbearer, he said, but hey, don't worry. I got good news for you. For you're going to be restored to your place in the kingdom. You're going to go back and serve Pharaoh for many more days to come. And just like that, just like Joseph interpreted these dreams through the voice of the Lord, the dreams happened. So now we find Joseph in like this um, other saga of his life. Now he's been sold into slavery. He's been, his dad was told that he was murdered, right? They dipped his robe in blood. And, and then he gets down to Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, but he doesn't fall into sin. So now he gets lied upon. He finds himself in prison. And now from prison, uh, he interprets these dreams here thinking, hey, maybe he's going to get out. Maybe he'll be known now as the interpreter and they'll release him. He tells the cupbearer one thing. He says, hey, when you get out, just do one thing for me. One thing. Don't forget me. You guys know what happened next? He forgot him, right? He didn't remember him at all. He got back to doing his job. He got back to doing his thing. And he just went on and totally forgot about the person of Joseph, this dream interpreter. Well, then here's what happens next. Some time goes by and the king himself or Pharaoh has a dream. And he has this very vivid, weird dream. And he calls in all the sorcerers. He calls in all the people who are known to interpret dreams. He calls in the palm readers of that day, right? And he asks everybody, hey, what does this mean? And no one had an answer for him. And then one morning it says that the cupbearer remembered Joseph and the dream that he interpreted for him. And the cupbearer goes before Pharaoh and says, hey, Pharaoh, I don't want to bring up that bad time in my life. But you remember that one time you put me in prison for a couple nights? Well, when I was there, there was a guy there. And I don't remember his name right away, but there's a guy there. And I believe he's still there. And he interpreted the dream and told me exactly what was going to happen. And I got to tell you, Pharaoh, it happened just like he said. So the Pharaoh, he calls into the prison and he says, hey, give me that prisoner. That man by the name of Joseph, bring him to my place. So Joseph leaves prison. He goes and he tells uh, the king, hey, I'm not an interpreter. I can't do what people said or told you that I can do, but I know a guy. I know a guy. And if you tell me the dream, we'll ask my God and my God will give you the words to the meaning of the dream that you have. And listen, church, this is exactly what happens Pharaoh tells Joseph about this crazy dream, about seven years of just fat cows and, and beautiful, abundant harvest and everything luxurious that comes um, just when you have enough or you have more than enough. But then right after those seven years or seven symbols, he has seven really malnourished cows down to nothing, just dying on their own. No crops, no nothing. And Joseph steps in and he asks God, he says, Lord, would you give me the words to say to Pharaoh? And the Lord speaks into Joseph's life. And Joseph interprets the dreams. And when he interprets the dreams, he tells the king, hey, king, there's going to be seven really good years to come. There's going to be seven years of feast, and we're going to have more than enough. But we need to prepare for the, what comes next. What comes next is seven years of famine. And if we don't take care of what we have when we have it, we're going to die, and you're going to lose the people. You're going to lose the land. And Pharaoh says, hey, I want you to come out of prison. I want you to be my man. And if you look in Genesis chapter 39 for yourself, you'll see. You'll see that Joseph doesn't just go from a prisoner um, to like somewhat in charge. Joseph goes from prisoner to president. He literally becomes the number two man in all of the land underneath Pharaoh. Pharaoh worried himself, is the word the scripture used, worried himself with nothing more than what he would eat. Could you imagine that? Your life, the only thing you have to wonder is should I have Mexican or should I have a hamburger? That's a hard decision. I know that's, if that's the hardest part of my day, that's a good day, right? All he worried himself with is what should I eat? 
And you know the rest of that story is it happens exactly like Joseph said it was going to happen because the Lord told him so. And he became the ruler in the land. And shortly after that, years later, those seven years go by, those brothers that sold Joseph into slavery, guess what they have to do? They have to come into Egypt. They have to bow before him just like he said many years ago that his brothers would eventually bow at his feet. They bow down before him and they ask for help because they're starving and their land has nothing. They bring what little they have to the table and they say, hey, will you help us out? There's a moral of the story. And if you read it for yourself from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50, you'll see that there's something that comes back over and over and over. And it says this, that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, I just brought you through a whole lot of chapters of Scripture. So what I want to do now is I want to work our way backwards. And I want to figure out what can we look at in the life of Joseph and apply to our daily life right here in Essel County, right where I live in Titusville, Florida, no matter where you're at, no matter where you've been. Um, where can we look at Joseph, apply it to our life, and then may we walk with the person of Jesus? Can we do that? So let's pray real quick. Let's ask, let's ask the Lord to meet us right there. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word that's for us today. As we look into the life of Joseph, God, would you just teach us what this lesson is you want us to learn? Would we walk this out? The trajectory of our life be forever different when the person of Jesus steps into his place. Uh, we ask that in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how does Joseph go from a prisoner to a president, right? It's like the greatest rags to riches story from, from the bottom to the top. Uh, a few years ago uh, at the church, when we were a young church playing a lot like this, we had this guy serving on the setup team. And the setup team, man, they're like, they're the, the superheroes of the church, right? Because they come early, they stay late, they, they make it all done. We show up and it's set up and we wondered who did that. Was it the Easter Bunny, right? Was it like a ghost? No, it's a setup team. And we had this guy on the setup team named Tim. And uh, I knew Tim as an aeronautical professor. Uh, he teaches aeronautic, uh, uh, aeronautical science at Emory-Riddle in Daytona Beach, Florida. Um, he's a genius above all geniuses. Like this guy is super, super smart. And if we wanted to run an idea that kind of seemed smart, we would run it by our buddy Tim. We'd say, Tim, does this make sense? But here's what's funny, and you must know about Tim. When Tim was 15 years old, he decided high school wasn't for him. And he dropped out of high school and got a GED. He started a job at 16 years old and just started working hard and just thought education uh, kind of wasn't in his wheelhouse. So he was just going to work really, really hard. And he got a job out at the Space Center uh, as best he could to try to just do any kind of manual labor job he could at 16 years old. And then that guy realized that he needed something more than just his own knowledge. And he went back to school. And my friend Tim has a GED and a PhD and a word that I can't even spell. Right? Like, I, mean, I can't even pronounce it right. But he has a GED and a PhD. It's a rags to riches story. It's from the bottom to the top. That's a lot like Joseph. Joseph being sold into slavery to becoming the, really the number two man in all of the land. How do we get there? How do we do it? I'll tell you this. I don't know all your circumstances. I don't know your predicaments. I don't know your place in life. I don't know kind of what you're struggling through. I know on Sundays we put a good smile on. I know on Sunday we kind of shake off the, the Monday through Saturday life and we say, hey, we're going to get past that. God's going to meet me where I am today. And we hold back our tears and we hold back our emotions. And we kind of, let's just be real in the American church, we fake it till we make it, don't we? I won't ask for a show of hands. I can't see anyways. But I won't ask for those because uh, it's kind of just, we're not going to be honest. But we have this fake it till we make it attitude, or attitude. But can I, can I tell you that that doesn't last long? You wear out and you burn out real quick. But instead of burning out, how do I help us as individuals how do I help us as a church really get to that place where we feel like we're with God? 
Well, I got this first thing. If you've got a program in front of you, you can take these notes or write this down. It'll kind of help it stick with you. Is what, the first thing I want you to see is what we see is a setback. God often uses as a setup. What we see is a setback. God often uses as a setback or set up. Hey, think about this. Joseph goes before his brothers and says, hey, there's going to be a day where you guys bow down to me. And the brother's like, heck no, man. I'm not bowing down to my younger brother. There's no way I'll ever submit to your authority. And Joseph, he says, hey, it's going to happen. I had a dream. God showed me this and it's going to be there. They take him, they, they take his robe, they dip it in blood. They act like he's dead. They go tell the dad, hey, Joseph, your favorite son, he's dead. No longer do we have to compete with that guy or wrestle over our inheritance for he's gone. And Joseph gets sold into slavery. Man, there's a lot of places in our life where we get down to the bottom and we think, God, where are you? Have you ever been on one of those days where it's just so bad where you ask yourself, hey, God, where are you at? Like, God, surely you're not here. I mean, because where I'm at, this is a horrible day. This, this is a bad, bad day. A matter of fact, I remember last time I was in Kentucky back in September, I was here the very next weekend. I had one of the days where I thought, God, where are you? It happened to be a Saturday. And it was a Saturday that University of Kentucky played the University of Florida. And something happened that doesn't happen very often. UK beat Florida. And I just fell to my knees and I cried and said, God, but we love that place. God, I'll never go back to the state of Kentucky. Where are you, God? Right? You guys never been there? Never been just a bad day, like fall before the Lord, say, God, this is so hard. I lost my job or I lost my dog or I lost my wife. I don't know which one's worse sometimes, right? But like, uh, you know, I, I, my truck broke down. Uh, I have no money. You just get to this place where you're like, God, like, like, where are you? And we kind of cry out to God. Instead of some of those places saying, God, get me out of here. Maybe what we need to start asking is, God, what can I get out of this? Instead of just asking, God, get me Get me out of this. We can say, God, what am I supposed to get out of this? Can you imagine being thrown in the well? I hope it was dry, right? Can you imagine being down there looking up at your brothers, being like, hey, dude, it wasn't my dream. It was God's dream. Like, don't be mad at me. Be mad at God. But one day you're going to bow down to me. (laughs) You know, it's like, or did Joseph think, hey, they're all bowing down looking in the well. Is this the day? (laughs) Is this what they thought? Looking down, he missed it. He didn't realize he was 14 feet deep. You guys ever been there? Like your, your circumstance is so low, like your, your troubles are so big that you feel like there's no way I'm coming out of this. Listen to what it says in Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care, everything he owned. God, this is Joseph prospered from being sold into slavery. Did you know that our, our, our troubles, where we are right now, our circumstance, our predicament, it might be God getting us to a place where we realize our dependency is fully on Christ? It might be a place where we're stripped of all of our other um, known luxuries or all the things that we fall back to where we say, hey, man, I'm out of money in this. It's okay because I got a savings account. It's okay because I have some assets, right? Like I lost my job and I don't have what I need right now, but it's okay because I've prepared for the worst. So we just put our dependency on still us. It's just a different version of us. We section it all out and say, well, hey, I'll be okay. I have a bad relationship over here, but I got a good one over here. My mom still thinks I'm the favorite. My marriage is falling apart, and this isn't a really fun place, but at least my dog runs to me when I come home. And we're in this place where like we're hurting and we're suffering, but, but maybe God's trying to say in that moment, hey, I'm not going to bring you through it. 
until you realize what I want you to bring through it. We say the things we go through, God, would you grow us through the things we go through? Instead of us just like pushing through and kind of like plowing through that mud, God, would you grow me through this circumstance? Because maybe what, what we see as a setback, God is right now trying to bring us to a place where we can actually look up. And he's going to make it a setup. Because if you would ask Joseph, hey, your brothers faked your death. They ruined that coat, man. That Carhartt jacket's gone. But I know a guy. Dad thinks you're dead. Mom's mourning your loss. If you would have said, hey, is this a good place for you to be, Joseph? You know what Joseph's going to say? The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered. I would say this, no matter your predicament, no matter your circumstance, if God's with you, that's right where you want to be. If God is with you in that moment, that's exactly where you want to be. No matter how hard it seems that you're going through. If you're in the presence of the Lord, where else would you want to be? So often what we see as a setback, may we start to see maybe, just maybe as a setup. Uh, you know, one of my roles as a pastor is I often do a lot of funerals. Um, man, we get called uh, to do a lot of funerals in our town. I'm a police chaplain. So I handle a lot of uh, death notifications for families that don't have pastors, don't have churches. So I kind of go to these really horrific car accidents or I go to... Um, Incidents that take place at the house, and I'm the one that tells the loved one that uh, there's been a death or a tragedy in the family. And often when that happens, they call me a few days later and say, Pastor, you're the only pastor I know. Would you be willing to do my husband's funeral? Would you be doing my mom's funeral? Whoever it is, would you do this? And, and I just say, yes. Can we sit down? Can we talk about what you believe and, and, and what you think of death or life after death? And I sit down with them. And, and I just got to tell you that in today's society, a lot of people have this religious view that if you are good enough, you automatically have heaven. But they have no concept of the person of Jesus. They'll tell me all about how hard their life was, but they never get to the place about how good God is. And then they just say, but hey, now there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. He's in a great place or she's now in a great place. So I often get to walk through this passive scripture in funerals um, where we normally hear this passage. It's Psalms 23. Anybody know it? Psalms 23 verse 4 says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Man, some of y'all are like, man, I've never read that in the scripture, but thanks to Coolio, I know that song, right? Y'all learned that up here in Kentucky, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the darkest death or the, the shadows of the valley of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. And when you get to walk with someone in the midst of a tragedy and I get to tell them, hey, Psalms 34, 18 says God is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Psalms 23 reminds us that we don't walk alone, that the footprints in the sand, you guys have seen that picture before, you've seen that poem, that it's not that we're walking alone, it's that in the fact that God's carrying us. So maybe right now you're in a hard place and you thought, man, I knew I shouldn't come to church today because it's such a bad spot, I'm going to fake it, but now he knows I'm faking it. What do I do now in that hard spot? Just maybe, just maybe ask God, God, it's not that you want to get me out of this, but God, what do I need to get out of this? God, would you begin to grow me through what I go through? May I come out on the other side closer to the presence of God because of this circumstance. If we look at the life of Joseph, all the way through Joseph, three different times in the midst of tragedy, it says the Lord was with Joseph. Hey, I'll go through tragedy all day long if I know that that's right where the Lord's going to sit. I just want to be hand in hand with Jesus. You know, when we're in our good days, when everything seems right, when there's always enough, when there's abundance, when there's extra, 
to be honest, our dependency in Christ lessens. If I'm honest with you, and I don't know, um, you look like a really good crowd, so I think you've been there too. But if you're honest and everything's right, those are the days we often forget to pray and trust God. We might say like a quick blessing prayer, like, God, I'm about to eat this burger for the 10th day in a row, but give me abs. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's like, that's the greatest prayer of faith. That's harder than salvation, right? God, dough daddies is incredible. Thank you. And the Lord Jesus, no fat on my sides, please. Amen. Right? Like we pray this prayer, but we didn't pray any prayer of dependency on Christ. We didn't pray any prayer of like, Lord, I need you. No, no, no. I, I need you today. Not, not cute and cuddly religion, but I need you to walk before me and in front of me. I need you to be with me. Maybe what God's put us through, maybe we need to realize that God's wanting to work us through something so that we actually can see our setback as a setup. If we look at the life of Joseph, the second thing I think we need to see if we want to really experience the closeness to the Lord is we need to stay committed to our convictions. We need to stay committed to our convictions. See, Joseph never once steered away from his convictions. When his brother sold him into slavery, he didn't change his dream. I would have, being the younger brother, right? When your brother's threatened to beat you up, I'd be like, no, no, I didn't say that. I said that one day we were all going to bow down, right? Like the Bible says that every knee will bow. Not, not you to me, but like everyone. Like I would have changed my story, right? I would have said, hey, God, uh, our guys, dad gave me this robe to give to you guys so you guys could all take turns wearing it. I don't know why it fits me perfect, but he meant it for you. It's yours. You know, like I would change my convictions. It, it, when, when things get hard, like when things get tough, if God says, hey, I need you to have this really hard conversation, I'd be like, God, I'm not your guy. Give that one to Pastor Mike, <laughs> right? Like I'm not your guy. Let him handle that one. He's, he's bigger than me. Right? We like kind of share back or we shed back from our convictions. But if you want the end result, that Joseph received, he never once steered away from his convictions. Uh, in Genesis chapter 39, we see this story of him being in Potiphar's, or Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's house, or Potiphar's wife, begins to recognize how handsome Joseph is. And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I think you've read the Bible for yourself. You know that the word handsome is literally defined as six foot three, bald with a mustache. <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm a biblical scholar, so I'm telling you right now, like... <laughs> That, oh, uh, that happens to be my same exact height, right? I'm sorry. But, uh, but, but she says that he's handsome, and she sees something in him. And she uses this phrase, not normally the phrase you hear in church, but this is straight from God's word. She says, come to bed with me. Day after day after day, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph to coming to bed with her. Joseph never once falls into his temptation. Now, I'm just going to tell you guys right now, like, temptation's real. We all have our struggles. We all have our difficulties. But you know that that temptation didn't start at the bedroom. You know, it didn't start in that one place where he realizes that no one else is in the house, but he goes into the house anyways. Temptation for us starts way back when, when we let the little tiny thought come in, when we pick up our phone and look at something when no one else is looking. When we acknowledge a compliment or we take a compliment a little too far or we send a message back and responds, but it's not just a message of business anymore. It's kind of like, hey, you looked really nice today. Oh, thank you. No, 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 I mean it. Like, hey, you look really nice today. I'll see you at work tomorrow. Like, that's where all those little things start to happen. It's not at the house. It's not in the moment, but it's all the things that lead up to it. If you want to stay close to God, you, you must stay committed to your convictions. Look what Genesis 39 says about Joseph. One day he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak, or she caught him by his shirt and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran out of the house. That's the first episode of Naked and Afraid, right there. 
First episode, views all over the world now. But Joseph ran out of the house. He ran from it. Why did he run from it? Because he was committed to his convictions. He literally says in that passage, hey, your husband, my boss, have given me authority over everything that's his except for you. I would never do that to my Lord, to the person that has authority in my life, to the person that has control over my day-to-day life. I would never do that to them. He had convictions, and he stayed committed. You know, I, um, I get tested often on these convictions. You know, it is April. It's tax month. How many of you guys say, ah, oh, taxes, smaxes, right? Like, God don't care. And we kind of take this corner and we take that corner. I want to challenge you on your integrity. I've had this conversation with so many entrepreneurs where they claim this and they claim that. They try to find every loopholes. Hey, loopholes are for you, but there's also a very clear, distinct line of integrity. And you know what we're supposed to do? Pay what we're supposed to pay. We're not supposed to whine and cry about it. We're supposed to just honor the Lord in everything that we do. And I know you're like, dang, pastor, you just punched me in the gut. Hey, it's not me. Stay committed to our convictions. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. Last night, I took my two sons out, Pastor Paul and Pastor Mike, and uh, we went to this dinner, and uh, it said that the kids eat free. So I just said, hey, Paul and Mike, say you are 12 years old. Say you're 12, man. We're going to eat for free tonight. And the lady thought it was really good, but then she realized both of them had really well-trimmed beards. She said, there's no way these boys are 12 years old. I said, ma'am, they take after their mom. <laughs> right? That's mean, dude. Don't be talking about that, right? How many times have we done that? Like, surely I'm not the only pastor in the room that's ever lied about my 13-year-old still being 12. Okay, maybe I am the only person in the room. All right? So, hey, you know, like, we, we have these convictions, but, like, we cut these corners and we say, it's a small corner. Who cares? It's a hot dog and french fries. It shouldn't be five bucks anyways. Uh, we, we try to cut these corners and we lie and we, we, we bend the truth or we, or we change the date or we do these little things. What we're telling our family and the people around us is that we're not committed to our convictions. And if we're not walking out in our convictions, the Lord's not with us. And then when we go through hardships, then when we go through trials, then when we go through troubles, then we do feel alone. But I'm telling you right now, no matter where you are, no matter your circumstance, the hardest of the hardest places, if you're with the Lord, you're in the right place. But we must stay committed to our convictions. Joseph ran out of the house. You know, I, uh, I love when Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed but not despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Beautiful, man. You know what he's saying? All the temptation has overwhelmed me. It literally is pressing in on all sides, but I need a miracle. I need a miracle power right now to pour down. May it rain out a miracle power on me right now because the temptation is overwhelming. The temptation is stuck. As a, as a pastor and a counselor, man, I can't tell you how many times I've sat with a grown man who wants to meet at an odd hour of the day and wants to meet in a weird place. And I know driving to it exactly what it's going to be. He wants to be far from anyone else when no one else knows what he wants to tell me. I can tell you nine out of ten times what it's going to be. He's, taken, he's taken something too far. He's got some kind of addiction that's reared its ugly head in his face, and he's about to tell me how he's ruining his life. And now what does he do next? And it's in those places where we often just get to go before the Lord and say, Hey, man, your sin didn't start today. Your temptation that you fell for didn't start today. Your consequences start today. The result of your sin, which is death, starts today. But that sin came from within. It came when we allowed ourselves to lie and cheat on one little tiny tax bracket. It came in when we allowed ourselves to respond to one social media post that no one else will know we even saw the post in the first place. 
It came within with one little comment when no one else is around to hear, but just her, just him. Hoping and prying that one day that comment will lead to another one, lead to another one, lead to another one. Well, James, the stepbrother of Jesus, tells us in James chapter 1. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and intense or uh, enticed, then after desire has conceived. Listen, he tells us about the birth of our sin. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. That's the natural flow of human life. He parallels that with the sin inside of us. And he says, hey, that sin came from within. You didn't just bump into it. You didn't fall down into this inappropriate verbal relationship. You walked into it willingly because you stepped away from your commitment to your convictions. Now, some of us, we don't know the person of Jesus yet. We, we know of him, but we don't have a personal relationship with him. So therefore, our convictions aren't the same. But I'm telling you right now, no matter your hardship, no matter your circumstance, no matter your predicament, God knows exactly where you are. And he wants to be with you. He wants to hold you in his presence, to, to acknowledge that he knows you and loves you despite what you think of your circumstance. God is there. So the last thing I want you to see this morning is this. No matter our hardship does not diminish his lordship. So simply put, in personal perspective, your hardship does not diminish his lordship. Simply to say like this is God is good despite our bads. Our placement, our predicament, our circumstance, our brokenness, our hurts, our hangups, God is good. Again, as a police chaplain, I often sit on a couch at someone's house in the middle of the night. I woke them up from a deep sleep, knocking on the door to tell them that they lost a loved one in, a, in an automobile crash. And I find myself sitting down in a room where they're just stuck in shock and they're stuck in this place of disbelief. And it's in that role, not where I get to share the gospel often or not where I get to say, hey, say it with me. You ready? God is good. But it's in that place where I find my own silence, the voice inside of me speaking out God's good. Despite this predicament, God's good. And there's going to be a day that you're going to be able to say with your own mouth that God's good. Despite our hardship, it does not diminish his lordship. I love the story of Joseph. Joseph went from uh, sown into slavery, or thrown into a well, sold into slavery, lied on, deceived, tricked, placed into prison, forgotten about, lost, all the way to the top, from a GED to a PhD. From the bottom to the top, from rags to riches, from prisoner to president. He gets all the way there. And here's what Joseph says about his own life and his own story. He says in chapter 50, verse 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many. He tells that to his brothers when they recognize who he is because he recognizes them days before. He sends them back and forth, back to the dad. He asks, is the dad still alive? Is, is my brother still there? Are the, are, the, are the men still there in that family, in that life? And he, he gives them all their money back and he sends them on their way and they, they're so afraid they feel like they stole from the king. But what he's doing is he's letting them know that, hey, God knows you. God knows what you did and God loves you. Some of you, church, we need to hear that in our day every day. It's no matter how hard our situation is, no matter how rough or tough the predicament is in our life, God knows you and God loves you. Joseph, knowing God was with him, you can know that too. You can know that you have more than just a savior in the person of Jesus. 
that you have a friend that wants a relationship with you daily. And whatever you're going through right now, be it the loss of a job or the loss of a relationship, be it a health scare where you still haven't even let the people around you know what the doctor said yet. You're just wrestling through this place trying to figure out, God, where are you? I want to tell you right now where he is. He's right there. He's right there. No matter how far you've ran, we find ourselves running often, don't we? We run from God. Anytime we mess up, we screw up, we run. We treat him like the teacher or the principal that we haven't done the homework assignment. And if we see him, as long as we don't lock eyes with him, it's good. Just hide in the back. Well, can I tell you this, church? God knows you. He knows your wrongs. He knows your secrets. He knows the deepest, darkest place in your life. But yet he sent his one and only son to die in your place. He knows you. And he still loves you. One of my favorite scriptures is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, those who were once far from God have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. I love that verse. Plenty of days in my life where I want to run from God, fall into temptation, fall into a sin or a thought. I I fall into something that I know is not of God. So then I just, when when I think about it, I want to run from it. But it's every time that I just realize I stop and I turn around, God's right there. That my distance that I thought I created, that I intentionally placed, God is right there. Ready to receive me. You know, I think about the gospel. I think about Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who's been called according to his purpose. That's what God wants to do in you. Even in our bad, God wants to show his good. Even in our toughest moment, our greatest hardship, Jesus wants to show you his lordship. In order for us to do that, we must realize our need for Jesus. Look, this isn't a religious ask. This isn't like that Bible belt. I spent 11 years in South Carolina as a youth pastor. And if you asked anyone around us if they were a Christian, they would say, absolutely. Or they would say, yeah. But you look at their life, social media life, you look at their real life, you look at everything around them, their priorities, this minute to minute, they have nothing to do with Jesus. They would claim Christianity. Maybe you guys know someone like that right here in Kentucky. Maybe it's just a good old guy or just a good lady who loves well, but they claim to know Jesus, but they know nothing about Jesus. In order for you to step into that relationship to experience what Joseph experienced, you must realize your need for a savior. When we realize that need, it's inside of us. And, and when we realize that we need him, that we need to be rescued, we repent. It's a word that only gets used in church, isn't it? We repent. That means a 180, that we turn from the direction we were heading and we change directions. It's a daily process. Man, for me, it's a daily, hour-by-hour process to repent of the ways of Barry and follow the person of Jesus. But once I realize how good it is, once I realize that he knows me even through all my fake and all my flaws and all my mess-ups and mishaps, there's no other response for me than repent. And then we get to receive it. We get to receive the person of Jesus, the gift of life inside of us that he knows us yet still loves us. No greater gift. 
than to know that Jesus, the, the one that died in my place, willingly, Hebrews 12, 2, says willingly and joyfully, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sitting down at the right hand of God our Father. You guys, what that, you know what that says? That Jesus saw the hill of the skull. He saw Golgotha. He, he, he picked a friend to carry the cross. He saw the dude with the hammer and the nails. He knew the torture that was coming. He knew, he knew the suffering that was about to be had. Yet he walked the hill. He laid down willingly as they pierced his side, as they hammered through his flesh, as they mocked him, as they beat him, as they stripped him of all dignity. For the joy set before him, he died in my place. Also, he could get to the final words of it is finished. The curtain tears in two and the earth shakes. And humanity forever and ever and ever has a rescuer named Jesus. Willingly, joyfully, knowing who we are, Jesus takes on my sin, takes on our wrongs and humanity and dies in our place. Don't just think of him as the Savior. Recognize the need for a Savior, yes. But repent and turn from just living our life dependent on ourself. Complaining and, and whining and crying over how hard we have it. Stop for a moment and say, God, is this setback actually a setup? And then beginning right now, stay committed to our convictions. That we're going to follow Christ when no one is looking. I'm not going to cheat on any part of my taxes. I'm not going to sneak my 15-year-old as a 12-year-old no longer. My bearded son, I'll pay for his meal. No longer will I continue to have conversations that I know that are not pleasing to the Lord or edifying to my wife. I'm going to stay committed to my convictions. And I'm going to be able to say God is good despite my hardships. I'll recognize that as a Lord, he's the Lord in and over my life. Church, if you want that this morning, all you have to do is receive Jesus for yourself. Don't make it a faith that Pastor Mike carries. Don't make it a faith that your mom or grandmother carried. Make it your faith. A personal decision to follow the person of Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, he'll change your entire life. No longer will your loneliness be real, but you'll lean into the person that knows you in your darkest hour. Can I pray for us? Jesus, thank you for knowing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for all that you do to and through us. Jesus, may we experience you in a real way. Lord, I believe there's men and women in this room right now that know all about you. They don't know you. They would even claim in a, in a place of their life that they were Christian or they were believers, but they don't follow you. Jesus, I pray that just that whole place of religion would fall deaf on our ears, that we would stand up and, and wash off or shake off from all that religious experience, and that we would step anew into a relationship with Jesus. May we be more like you. May we experience you. May in our life people say, hey, man, that guy's been to the bottom and back. But you know what? God is with him. He prospered even when he was sold into slavery, even when, he was, when they faked his death. 
when he was lied on and hated on and pushed into prison, God was with him. And now look, God has restored him. And people are saved because of what's happened in his life. Jesus, may that be our story. May we have an epic story that changes trajectory of our humanity. People step from death to life into the person of Jesus. May we experience that today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.